you don't have a baby from up here in your head. Like, you have a baby from down, down here in your body. <laughs> I try to just really just get people out of their own way. And then you just have to try to be as open to the outcome as you can be. We don't, in all this arena, the, everywhere from conception to birth, like, we don't have control over it. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome to Mother Birth today. Lara and I are here. Uh, Lara's in Texas and I'm in Portland. We're not together anymore. Um... And we are here with a special guest that is from down in California. Her name is Lauren Romley. And Lauren is an acupuncturist that actually does a lot of work with with women in this period of life who are transitioning to becoming mothers. Um, So she has some some really great insight as well as her own story of her journey to motherhood. So Lauren, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Hi. Um, Well, like you said, I'm an acupuncturist. I work with um, women that are trying to get pregnant as well as women who are pregnant and trying to go into labor. Um, that's a big part of my practice. And yeah. I have two kids myself, two boys, six and nine years old. And um, I live in San Jose, practice in Los Altos. And um, I love to be outside. <laughs> I, that's that's a good thing to love. Yeah, um, Lauren, how old are your kids now? They're six and nine. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So, and are they are they boys, girls? Boy. Two boys. Two yeah. boys. Okay. Two very active boys. So, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your your journey into motherhood? We we love to share with our listeners, you know, your your birth stories and and anything, you know, about your pregnancy that you'd love to share. Sure. Um, you can just kind of start at the beginning. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, at the very beginning, um, uh, I don't know if you want to hear about conception as well, but that was, that's well, how much about conception? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a female partner, so we had, you know, obvious challenges to, from the get go. And, mm. um, we, so I have some you know, experience with that, which I, which I think helps a lot in my practice because a lot of the people that I'm working with are going through much bigger challenges than I had. And you're talking about fertility issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fertility issues. And, um, I mean, we, we were pretty fortunate. I mean, we just had to find some sperm and it ended up working eventually, Hmm. but, um, it took me about a year to get pregnant the first time. Okay. And then the second time was a little quicker because we kind of figured it out. How did you guys decide you were going to go about it? What were the options you considered? Um, you know, how did you make those decisions? Well, we first start started out um, trying with a friend with fresh sperm, mm-hmm. and you know, I like to joke the old fashioned way. I mean, not really, but basically with a, you know, ter- more or less turkey glorified baster turkey style. baster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. Um, and it didn't work. We tried about nine cycles that okay. way, and it just didn't work. Mm. And so um, we decided I had to wrap my brain around it. But eventually, I decided um, 
it's just DNA. Like I'm just, I'm okay. I'm going to just go to the sperm bank. Cause it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to, to, we were we needed to move to IUIs. It seems like, yeah. um, and in order to do that with a fresh donor, you have to, there's a process. You have to spin out the sperm. You can't put fresh sperm through the cervix. Hmm. Um, and then I, at the time, I believe that you would have to quarantine the sperm if you're not married to the person for six months. And it was just mm-hmm. a lot of logistics that didn't make any sense. I didn't need to have this person's child. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I liked knowing the essence of this person. Yeah. But um, eventually I, I got to the space where I was, you know, well, we both were okay with um, having a donor. Yeah. Yeah, and I th- think that's something a lot of people don't know about the process of um, selecting a sperm donor, whether it's, you know, in your case for since you're a same sex couple or if you are having fertility issues. I think a lot of people do things like, oh, it's just like a romantic comedy. You just like have your friend come over, uh, do his business in a cup and you just like put it in a turkey baster and you get pregnant. That's how it works. Right. And then if it doesn't work, they can just like, yeah. Or like, or if that doesn't work, you just like go to your OB with them and then they do it. And it's like, that's not really how it works. You kind of have to, like you're saying, you end up kind of subjecting yourself to the way the system is built and just like anything with the way things are built that adds on cost and time and Mm -hmm. and stress, I'm sure all kinds of other factors. Yeah. Yeah. And logistics. I mean, he was not in the same town as us. He had small children. Yeah. Um, it just didn't make sense. Yeah. What know. can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to approach someone that you knew about being involved with your conception? Was that something that he was open to? How did you select that person? How did you have the conversation? That all sounds just so interesting. So this was, you know, over probably 11 years ago, so quite some time ago. But um, it was super awkward. Yeah. So as you can imagine, um, he just I don't know. The way I picked them is he just seemed like the kind of person, and I knew his wife, and they just seemed like people that were comfortable in themselves enough that they would be open to mm-hmm. this idea, mm-hmm. and and in their relationship, and they were real easy to be around that way. And I just I don't know. It's it's more of a feeling than anything yeah. intellectual. And um, yeah. I don't know. One day I just I just asked. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually exactly remember the conversation. The whole thing was super awkward to begin with, especially the first time we we did the procedure was, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. extremely awkward. But but there was this just underlying real comfort, and um, it wasn't like he was a relative or you know any anybody that actually we're not even in hmm. contact with them anymore so much. We've just kind of gone to other places, um, but. It was a vibration. It sounds kind of cheesy, but it was more of a vibration than anything else. And um, I just yeah. felt like this would be the, you know, this would make sense. This would work. There's not that many yeah. people that well, you it sounds that up, I don't think. Right. Sure. And it sounds like he was, you know, was open to it, obviously, since he, he agreed. But also, you said you did nine cycles that way? Yeah. So that's like, you know, not just like a hey, you want to give this a try? I mean, it sounds like he was fairly committed to the process with you both. He was very committed, and um, his wife was very open to it. They had their own children already and were done having kids. So there were all these yeah. things that that made it feel like this could this could be a viable option. And yeah. I think there was a bit of a just a heart connection between all of us that made it feel really okay. Did you guys talk about whether he would have any kind of role if you did have a child? Yeah, we pretty much um, 
I think we might have signed some stuff too, actually. I'm sure we yeah. did, but it was nothing. We didn't mm -hmm. involve lawyers or anything. It just, um, but we all, I mean, I felt very secure and some people might think it's naive, but I felt very secure in, in the agreement we had and the safety of all of us. Yeah. Um, we, we basically said, look, we wouldn't want any um, contribution from you guys. We wouldn't expect anything if you wanted to be a friend to this child we would right. be open to that mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. was about you know where we left it but there was no real expectation of any involvement yeah other than a family friend right yeah I have another friend who has yeah. a similar journey to yours except for that you know the friend donor it, it was successful um and you know their ongoing relationship and the nuances to that are just so fascinating to me you know navigating that and they also have you know the the donor and you know his wife have kids and so there you know there's this element of like what what's the relationship between the children as well you know there's there's in right. some ways a, a different connection there than you know than you may anticipate and and sure it could go a number of different ways you know well we ultimately i think you're going to ask me this we ultimately got um a donor that's a identity mm -hmm. release donor and so that means that the kids can find him or try to find mm -hmm. him when they're 18 Okay. And there's also a registry for donor siblings oh, wow. through the sperm bank that we've signed up for. So we're in contact with some of the half siblings. And actually this past summer we met one. Wow. So and with the kids. So the kids are aware. Yes. Yeah. The kids are aware. My firstborn is extremely curious and he's yeah. been asking about everything and we're just, we're full disclosure in our family. So we've been talking about it forever. Mm -hmm. And the second one is less, less inquisitive, but he's starting, he's starting to get a little curious. Um, so yeah, we, one of the half siblings was coming down with his mom on vacation and she said, Hey, do you want to get together? And we got together in a park and it was, it was fascinating. Hmm. It was really um, kind of exciting. My son, Angela, was very excited to meet the half sibling. But it's like you said, it's an interesting question of what's, what's their relationship. Yeah. Are they brothers or will they even be in each other's lives? I mean, it could really go either way. Yeah. To them. yeah, it really could. And in a lot of ways, it's up to them. You know, you, you could, you could use whatever language you chose to about it mm -hmm. and they would perceive it how they're going to perceive it. And, you know, pursue it how they're going to pursue it you know yeah it sounds like your older one may be more like you said inquisitive but he may also pursue those relationships a little more readily than your younger I mean who knows but yeah yeah who knows it's just kind of I think it's mostly out of curiosity that we wanted to meet them and they ended up being really nice people and you know mm -hmm. who knows what will happen with that yeah but it's, it's always fascinating to learn about you know, look at pictures and see if there's similarities, you know, compare yeah. notes. Yeah, for sure. So, but they, you know, we have some information about the donor and then, um, as they ask, we just, we give information to our kids cause that's, I don't know, that's what we decided is right for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people do have to make personal choices about that. But to me, it sounds really healthy that you are open about it because they're going to have the questions no matter what. And, you know, every kid processes things differently and may have different questions. But ultimately, at the end of the day, like, you know, keeping something, you know, under the rug or, you know, in the closet, maybe that's a bad metaphor. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's not it's not going to like 
it's not going to help them on, on their journey. I mean, they're, they're going to, you know, have to answer a lot of different questions about their identity anyways. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting with some of the people that I work with. Um, it's a, it's a big question if they're getting, if they're in a different opposite sex relationship and they need a sperm donor or egg donor, or maybe even both. Yeah. The question of whether or not to tell the kids is actually kind of harder because they're not going to obviously know that that happened right. with us. It, you know, it was going to come up that we, yeah, you know, it's going to come up. Found sperm yeah, for sure. <laughs> so that was kind of a no brainer, but for some people, you know, it's a question of how much they want to share and if they want to share that yeah. information. Yeah, and I do think it's definitely now more than ever people are having those conversations with their kids. Like you said, it's an ongoing conversation. It's not like you sat them down one day and said, like, I want to tell you this before you find out from someone <laughs> else. You know, you uh -huh. you know, I think that is kind of, you know, going away with time. Not in all cases, you know, like you said, it's not maybe necessary information, but I think people are kind of seeing the value in just celebrating the differences and, and like kind of honoring the fact that it's a journey I think that that's something too like you know I'm thinking more towards like long infertility journeys a lot of times I think it's special to share that with your kids and to know like these are the things we did to meet mm -hmm. you and you know mm -hmm. it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be dramatic or traumatic I think it's just kind of part of your story and part of like your relationship and your choices and whether that's again like a you know IUI or a fertility struggle with your partner whatever it is I think you know my you know my friends that are having kids are kind of sharing that yeah. with their kids in ways that are appropriate like oh yeah mm -hmm. you know this is what we had to yeah. do and you know I'm one of my friends was like yeah because I'm old like she tells her kids like her kids <laughs> will be like well because mom was old she had to see a special doctor to get her magic <laughs> pregnant <laughs> you're like yep a special well, doctor funny. got her magic pregnant because she old <laughs> she's <laughs> well it, it is it's the story of like he here's how much we wanted you like it's yeah. the story exactly. of how much yeah, we wanted, totally. yeah. you know, and we all, t yeah. we all have that story to tell. It's just a little bit different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did and there's some great books that we found too, um, just with, you know, how do you tell the, where did I come from story to your kid and how did, where did your kid come from? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there's different, it's not just like when I was a kid there, there was really only one of those books. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a great book called What Makes a Baby that I really like that yeah, I recommend to people. Yeah. yeah, I really it like that one. Kind of covers a lot of different fertility bases and how how different people can get pregnant, and it's not always you know a, a mm -hmm. mommy and a daddy and all. Yeah, it really focuses that, on the biology of mm -hmm. it. Yes, and like how yeah you a sperm and an egg make a baby. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. it's not the stork is another one that was yeah. Yeah. That's a good one too. We'll share links to but those. Just, I mean, we're yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, my partner happens to be a biology teacher, so mm. um, you know we do talk a lot about science and biology, yeah. and so that comes easy for us. But that's been a way for us to you know go down this road that's not awkward or it's just hey, this is how it is. This is what yeah. it is. That's great. So. I think that's great. That openness will, will get you so far and it will get your kids so far because that's how they will, you know, that's how their, their consciousness and their relationships will develop is, is based on that same openness. And, and it's true that we all, you know, have different things that we're comfortable sharing with our, with our kids and, you know, with our communities and, and that's fine. But I do think that, you know, kids are, kids are curious mm -hmm. and they want to know 
who they are and where they come from. And they want to know like what, you know, what they mean to the world in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. I think I, you know, I know I grew up with, you know, I had a, a birth father that was, that killed himself when I was six years old. And it was not something that my family was comfortable talking about. And I, you know, didn't have contact with his family in, you know, the years following that. And when I was 17, I was, I just wanted to go meet, you know, my, my birth father's family. And I, my, my parents were really, really against it. And it was, you know, it was something that it just made the, the, the journey more painful than it needed to be. Like, you know, instead of there being just curiosity, there was also like struggle, you know, Mm, and adding to that was, you know, in in a way it's, it's that struggle is also part of who I am, but would I like to take that part out of it? Sure. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I want to know as well, did you and your partner, did you always know that you would be the one that was going to be pregnant or was that something that you, you shared that desire or? That was no, that was also real easy for us. Okay. (laughs) I, I always really wanted to have the experience of carrying a child and giving birth and all that that entails. Um, and she had no interest in that. So that was an Mm -hmm. easy decision. Yeah. Well, that's nice. The first time, the second time, um, I thought, oh, well, probably I just need to do that one, especially after the, my first experience, which I guess we'll get into. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. I didn't really need to do that again. I think I'm good on that. And, you know, we could, I, I was always thought we would adopt or something like the second time. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. After I had my first, um, I mean, honestly, what it came down to was the path of least resistance is to carry another child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, you, um, and you use the same donor? We did. We used the same donor. Yeah. Is that common for donors? So that's why we made that decision. Is it common for donors to, you know, to be available over a course of several years that, you know, people can frequently have the same donor for a number of different children? Or is that hard to access? Um, I think it's probably somewhat luck or planning mm-hmm. ahead and how much money you yeah. want to spend. And yeah, because you can, um, they only gave this particular donor sperm to 10 different families. Oh, okay. Which actually sounds like a lot. Um, and you, so after those 10 families had a sperm, they could only get sibling inventory if it was okay. available. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just hadn't run out when we, went for the second I mean we I think we might have had a few vials left over interesting so definitely it wasn't like we planned ahead and and bought it well in a you know three years ahead yeah. to make sure we had it for the future but you could I mean but then you don't know how long it's going to take you so it's going to take if it took another year for me to get pregnant the second time we probably wouldn't have used it. right yeah wouldn't you know I would have run out I don't know you both of you probably know more about this than I do but is there an expiration on on sperm is there <laughs> on there, frozen yes. sperm <laughs> yes. I don't know <laughs> yeah how does that work I have no idea <laughs> I, I don't know what the regulations are, but there are, I mean, just like any biological material, there's regulations. Yeah. And I think uh, there's also just recommendations like the technology changes. Mm-hmm. So you also are kind of keeping up with that. And that's something that I know that I've had friends run into who have done things like like a pre-radiation uh, or, you know, 
egg storage or something like right. that. You know, I have a friend who did that in her teenage years. And then when she was ready to have kids in her 30s, she struggled a lot the last five years before she was ready to have kids because the kind of storage she needed was like kind of being timed out by the mm. facility. And I mean, not to mention the cost, you know, you're paying. Yeah. You know, for that storage or so if you right. set sperm aside, you know, f- from that donor, then you're also then you're at least in the couple I know who's done that, they're financially responsible right. for that. So I don't yeah, know if that's how it works. Annual yeah, you're paying a, Exactly. So I mean there's a lot of factors. It's again, it's not just like running into the grocery store and right. grabbing something so, you like. So you're saying it's not in my freezer next to my breast milk. <laughs> That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so I'm kind of interested. So you guys got pregnant and talking a little bit more about your early motherhood journey, Lauren. Yeah. Um, well, do you want me to go into the birth or motherhood? Sure. But, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I think my birth story is um, important to a lot of things in my life because it came was after. pretty mm-hmm. um well, I I was planning a home birth and um, was pretty adamant about that. It was, you know, pretty, it was a big deal for me mm-hmm. and um, did a lot of researching and thinking about it. I had a water tub and set up and, um, and then he was, the pregnancy went really well. No big complaints there. It was fairly uneventful and... Um, and I wasn't that ever really that uncomfortable towards the end, and that was part of the problem. I just I wasn't really going into labor. Mm-hmm. Um, I was by the time he came out, I was actually two and a half weeks overdue, mm-hmm. and um, I did everything to try to go into labor, everything you can imagine, um, including tons of acupuncture, which was terrible for my career. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, this doesn't work, but. Um, it was the thing that finally set me over was I did end up taking castor oil and, uh, of course, the last yeah. acupuncture treatment. You always think whatever you did last is what, what right. does the trick. <laughs> but the castor oil did um, help. And I went into labor and I had a long, hard, unproductive labor. And I'm kind of giving a, a bridged version, but I... Um, stayed home until the midwives don't like to see the sun set on a labor twice. Mm. So mm. we went through one night, the second, you know, before the sun set the second night, it was, they said, okay, you know, we've tried everything. I wasn't getting very dilated. We figured he was maybe a little off center, a little cockeyed, not, you know, just wasn't setting off the right chain of events. And, um, and we could, we tried to get him to move. We did the rebosa. We did all kinds of fluid stomping, I mean, everything you can imagine, and it wasn't happening. And, and you're so at home. We ended up having to. Yeah. yeah, I'm at home this whole time, um, and and we ended up going to the hospital after that, and um, the hospital, which of course was devastating mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, that's not what I wanted, um, and so then. Um, we got to the hospital, and it was kind of funny because it was a coincidence. We were in Santa Cruz, living in Santa Cruz at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, my doctor, the per- the woman who was on call at the hospital was the 
partner of my OB, the domestic partner, and the you know they worked in the same office. So it just happened to be that mm. random connection. Um, so she was the one who actually ended up um, delivering Angelo. And um, we were at Dominican Hospital, which was the mm. place I did not want to go to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, they so they ended up giving me Pitocin and breaking my water. And this was, I don't have the, I don't remember the exact hours at this point, but um, I ended up laboring for six hours like that. Mm-hmm. And it was intense. Um, no, no drugs or anything. Well, just the Pitocin. And I thought, you know, I felt like I really dropped in and I was doing it and it was super intense and if yeah. this isn't transition and what could it be? <laughs> and, um, and she checks me. So I was, I think I was four centimeters when I got to the hospital after, you know, over a day of laboring. And mm-hmm. she checks me after six hours of hard labor on Pitocin. Mm-hmm. And she says, maybe five. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, that was really discouraging. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm ready for an epidural. And they start talking to me about the other drug. I'm like, no, you know what? I, I, I know I'm ready for an yeah. epidural. Like, I don't think those other drugs are going to do anything for me. And um, I need to sleep. And uh, so they gave me an epidural and cranked up the pitocin. And I slept. And basically, my uterus just stopped contracting. Mm. It was done. And um, so I don't remember how long I was sleeping or doing that for but it by the time you know that happened they were like you know we've really and oh my midwife and the assistant midwife they both came with us to the hospital I want to mention and they were so helpful and so awesome to have them yeah they really just yeah that's huge Mm help make that transition feel yeah good um yeah and then at that point we we had to make the decision there wasn't a huge lot of a huge amount of options at that point but basically my doctor was like look we've really given you all the time we can and mm-hmm. now nothing's happening <laughs> so, had your water broken at any point well yeah when my when i went in they broke my water and gave me okay yeah so that was yeah that was intense so it was time they we decided to do a c-section mm-hmm. and I don't know. I was so exhausted and defeated mm-hmm. and, you know, it was, I was pretty, um, yeah, defeated, you know, I just felt bonded. So anyways, um, yeah. but I did feel like, like we'd done everything we could. Mm-hmm. And so then again, the midwife was so helpful in guiding us through that process and where my mom was there too, actually, <clears throat> and my partner. And so I was able to have my partner, both my mom and my partner come in for the C-section, which was really unusual, I think. And, um, and then after, um, they, oh, he ended up, oh, that's right. Right when they were about to do this, cut me open, they had to, you know, push him up a little bit more and, and mm. she, realized he had pooped mm-hmm. so it just felt like okay it's time. Yeah. it's time to get him out there's no question 
And um, so they pull him out, and the midwife guided us because we hadn't done any prep on C-section because that wasn't an option. It was I wasn't yeah. going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I I didn't. Some people prepare for anything, but I just didn't even want to go there. So um, they pull him out, and the midwife um, guided us to you know have him go right onto my partner's mm. chest, and mm-hmm. then um, they sewed me up, and within 15 minutes. I had him and he, you know, on my chest and, you know, bobbing around and, mm-hmm. and finding my breast. And it was actually, I mean, I'll never forget, like, when when he came out and I heard his cry, that's the best noise I've mm-hmm. ever heard in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then um, somebody, I didn't want them to say, it's a boy when he came out. For whatever reason, I just, I didn't want that. I just wanted to. I wanted mm-hmm. to discover him on my own. Yeah. I had a big feeling that I was going to be a boy, but I didn't, we didn't know for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyways, he comes out, he's crying. And then, and I'm, you know, of course in the whole operate, you know, under anesthesia or, you know, I had the epidural and, and behind the curtain and I don't know all that stuff. So I couldn't really move, but they brought him up to my face. And I just remember like mm. breathing his breath. And it was really stressful. And then, um, so yeah, and then the midwife really helped um, guide us to having him right on our skin right away. Couldn't be mine, but it was on my partner's. So that was was really nice. And then um, it just so happened that that night at the Minican Hospital, they had changed the rule that they don't separate babies, Mm C-section babies from the mom. Unless there's like they have to go to the NICU or something, mm-hmm. so that felt kind of serendipitous yeah. too. That he never left. That, so. mm. that was the. As much as I didn't want to go to Dominican, we had an exceptional experience there. Good. And yeah, I that's just, that's amazing. Yeah, and then breastfeeding, you know, there was some discomfort in the beginning, but it but my milk came in, and um, that was you know, relatively reasonable. Um, it still took me three months to actually enjoy it. I'm not going to pretend like it was just easy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, but I got milk came in. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, I just want to say, and this is something that, um, I say to people a lot in my practice to maybe know they have to have a C-section for whatever reason, um, ahead of time is I don't buy all the all the messages about, you know, you're not going to have the hormones if you, if you have drugs or if you have a C-section or your milk's not going to come in. I don't, I think that you can have as magical of a birth experience as anybody, whether Mm -hmm. it's natural or with drugs or even a cesarean because, because I had that. Absolutely. And I, you know, I've witnessed natural births that maybe, you know, didn't seem more magical for some reason you know Mm -hmm. so i mean birth is always an exceptional i think moment no matter what yeah yeah um and i think that women too you know end up feeling like you know for example like you if you were planning on a home birth or an unmedicated hospital birth or any of those things and then you end up with a c-section i think that women can feel like oh well the whole plan has you know gone to shit and and we're not going to be able to 
you know, do any of the things that we, you know, that were important to us. And, you know, our, our bonding time is going to be, you know, sacrificed and Mm -hmm. all of these things. And there's just so many, so many ways that that is not true, you know, and, and there are so many things that you can still preserve in that transition. And, and as you, you know, connect with your baby, even if you've just had an, a C-section emergency or otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think that, you know, that's, that's something that we say to women too, you know, and, and so many of the stories that we share on the show birth, I think probably one of the common themes is that things didn't go quite, quite like planned, whether it's like greatly not like planned or just a little bit not like planned, but ultimately, you know, women feel that, that sense of, you know, disappointment as it's happening, as the plan is changing and, you know, your ability to, to move forward and to see that still as a positive experience is, is incredibly powerful. Um, and not, and that doesn't happen for everyone. You know, there's so many women that are still trapped in, in feelings of regret or shame or disappointment about, you know, about how their birth went. So I'm, it's so encouraging well, to hear your perspective. Almost 10 years. So yeah. I just want to say that too, because I, I wasn't there right away. Yeah. And I actually, that, that next day in the, you know, in the hospital, I said to my mom that, you know, my worst case scenario happened. And I was so upset. And she said, mm-hmm. Lauren, that is not the worst case scenario. Right. <laughs> and it yeah. kind of snapped me into reality, like, oh, no, it's really not. Yeah. <laughs> but I was caught in my own, that was, I thought it was in my own head. But no, right. of course, it's not the worst case scenario. I was fine. He's super healthy, fine. I mean, after that really long labor, he never wavered. He was so strong through the whole thing, mm-hmm. which was incredible. So far from the worst case scenario, but you know, I was naive and, and caught in my own moment of disappointment. And um, mm-hmm. it took me a long time. I don't know how many years. It took me a long time to to let, really let that go. Yeah, And then and I was, you know, I, I was disappointed in my body. It let me down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that just in the sense of someone who's like, you were saying, Oh, this is horrible for my career and joking. But <laughs> I do think like when you yeah. do have a body work career, so, you know, whether that, you know, I've taken care of patients who, you know, either in, in kind of like natural medicine or Eastern medicine, or even like a yoga practice career where it's like you, you actually work in a realm where like body knowledge and kind of accessing space in your body is something you really believe in and also like do for a living. And so then labor can be this really interesting experience where you're trying to access those skills. And sometimes you feel like, like you said, like your body didn't, didn't seem to be on the same wavelength, almost like not that it betrayed. I think people can say, Oh, my body betrayed me. I think that's, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily true as much as it's like you, you probably had prepared and thought in that space of like, this is my body. I can do this. These are the things I can do to help my body do this yet you didn't see that, you know, progression happen. How did you kind yeah. of like process that in, maybe in labor and then maybe later? Well, I, I just, um, I mean, in labor, I, you know, I wasn't processing anything. I was just in it, you know, I was just in the zone and it was a timeless experience and it mm-hmm. was surreal. Um, that's why it's hard to recount hour to hour and sure. moment to moment. But, um, you know, in retrospect, I just really felt like my body let me down Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand why. And I, you know, you can read a lot of books that 
kind of lead you towards blame on on yourself for whatever reason not yeah. being able to let go some you know some kind of psychological reason that your service yeah. is not open or whatever but you know and I of course did a lot of soul searching on that and what's that about and and then you know there's so many variables Angelo had mm -hmm. a very large head yeah and I'm a fairly small person fairly small hips and um and he was a little cockeyed like I said before mm -hmm. So, you know, a little eighth of an inch can make a big difference in that situation. It's a tiny um, opening. <laughs> I mean, if he had come out that way, to be honest, I think I would not ever have been the same. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because I, I actually um, did have a vaginal birth with, with Sander, my second born. And um, so I have experienced both. And I um, Xander's head was much smaller. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he did enough damage. So... <laughs> I just, um, you know, I think that, you know, big, huge babies can come out of small people and sometimes it works beautifully and there's no, no damage. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, so it's just for whatever reason, um, it didn't happen that way for me. And I think, you know, as far as career goes, it's actually made me a better practitioner. Because mm -hmm. I tell people sometimes, you know, if I had an orgasmic water birth, I would be so annoyed. <laughs> I would, you know, I would just, I, I wouldn't have the perspective that I have and I wouldn't be able to yeah. hold the space for yeah. other people the way that I can, I think. And, and I think, right. It, you don't have the empathy, the ability to, you know, to con connect in that compassionate way and to see the, the breadth and, you know, range of experiences that women have and how valid those are. Yeah. So that was ultimately, I think what I came around to the reason for this happening you know, and, mm -hmm. and for me to just, I, I needed to grow in that area. Yeah. This and, was your story. Yeah. You had to have. And that's why, that's why I had that experience. And, um, and in the end, you know, everyone's fine, <laughs> but it was, yeah. it wasn't yeah. easy yeah. to get there. I mean, and, and I actually did what, before I had, when I was pregnant with Xander, I did do some hypnotherapy to, to try to, work on letting go a lot of that disappointment I had in my body and mistrust. I, I mean, that's the hardest thing is to try to trust your body again. Yeah. And trust that it's going to maybe would even be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And, and trust. I mean, I also had some trust issues with going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that was the big project for me and my second pregnancy. You had a VBAC with your second sounds like. Yes. I did end up having a VBAC. I planned a hospital VBAC because mm -hmm. I um, was worried that if I tried to do another home birth that I would, would put too much pressure on yeah. me. Mm -hmm. And the thought of having the same thing happen again just felt too disheartening. Yeah. I, I didn't, maybe, you know, and I always, I still sometimes wonder if you know, maybe I could have done it, maybe I could have done it. Maybe I should have been braver and gone for it, you know, whatever. But I, I honestly felt like that was just setting myself up to, to, to not be successful because I would be too stressed out about yeah. it. So yeah. what was going to be the, the least pressure for me is what I tried to do. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, I, I, it was still another long, un, fairly unproductive pain. I don't know why. I just like childbirth for me is a, particularly painful uh, some people have I think very different experiences I mean I, I watched my sister have three 
relatively easy natural childbirth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I just, I, I really recognize that everybody's different. Everybody has a different experience. And you, the best, best thing you can do for yourself yeah. is not compare. Comparing yourself to other people doesn't, is not helpful. Yeah. Mm-mm. No. And I actually spent the first almost 12 hours of my labor with my second comparing myself to my sister mm. and thinking, how could she have been eating frozen yogurt right now? How could she have been out at Chevy's eating a salad? Like these are all the things she was doing hours within giving birth to her kids. Mm-hmm. And for me, I couldn't leave the house. I, I was about, I was thinking, maybe I'm just making too big a deal about this. I'm just, let's go on a walk. So we pack up to go on a walk and before we get out the door, I have to like vomit and crap, you know, like I, just, yeah. I couldn't leave my house. So yeah. I think like, that okay, is I'm a, just having a different experience. And a very common trap to kind of be stuck into where it's like, you know, why is this my, why is this easy for this person? Or yeah, like you were saying, like, how is it possible? And I feel like that's just a really common takeaway when you look because people just have such different labors and experience them so differently mm-hmm. and you know you, if you can take wisdom from other people that's helpful for you that's about all I, I suggest that you take from anyone else's story <laughs> yeah right and then on to motherhood like yes. that same theme I mean I'm always trying to relearn that lesson yeah mm-hmm. it's just don't compare yeah. do what's right for you and do what's right for me and don't compare yeah because it doesn't help anybody (laughs) but it's so hard it's so hard well and even comparing ourselves to ourselves you know whether it's (laughs) that you know a previous birth went differently or that yesterday you were super patient and why can't you you know be like that today or you know two years ago you managed to like also have a social life and like why are you such a you know hermit these days like I mean it's just so easy to compare ourselves to ourselves and it's uh, also not productive yeah yeah so what was the transition to being a mom like oh that was the I mean I I think obviously the first first child is always the biggest transition and Mm -hmm. um it was huge I was the river guide for 10 years before I became an acupuncturist mm-hmm. and I had a lot of freedom and I did whatever I wanted and <laughs> had a lot of fun. And, um, and then I was in acupuncture school and I still continued doing some guiding in the summers when I was in acupuncture school. And then I pretty much, you know, got pregnant within a year or so after finishing school. So, it was a big, um, huge transition, huge transition in my relationship. Even the getting pregnant part is is the beginning of that. Whenever you have any challenges with that, it can bring up all kinds of stress in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And then, um, just all of a sudden your life can, well, my life completely changed and my focus completely changed. And, um, I ended up, I was just going to take three months off work and, um, I ended up in the end taking a whole Mm. year off. (laughs) So I was really fortunate that I could do Mm -hmm. that. I just wanted those moments. I knew I would, you know, they go quickly and you never get them back. Yeah. Well, it's great that you were able to, to listen to your intuition about that, you know, to recognize that three months wasn't going to be enough and that, you know, for, for your own sake and for 
you know, for his sake, for your relationship's sake, that that was something that was important. Yeah. But, you know, it was, there were challenges. I mean, there were times when, you know, huge hormonal shifts. And I think the fact that, that I had such a disappointment with birth, mm -hmm. it, it made it, I think it made that first year, you know, I was working through that on top of all the hormonal shifts. Yeah. And all the hormonal shifts for the first time. Mm -hmm. And my body was just more from, I think when you labor for that long and then have a cesarean, it's, it's a harder recovery than if you have a planned cesarean. Well, it's like a double recovery. Yeah. So You're recovering I, I from two different things. I didn't really feel 100% back the strength in my body for, I think, a good year. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and like I said, breastfeeding took me a good three months to relax into mm -hmm. and actually enjoy. So, yeah. you know, that was after the day five of bleeding nipples. Like <laughs> That was like the, the you know, yeah. most painful part. But then there's just all these other little things. My, my midwife kept telling me to go to a um, breastfeeding support group at the hospital. And I was like, well, no, I don't need to do that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm producing lots of milk. It's fine. It's fine. But I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. And, um, I would set the timer and I just would like watch the clock until I was done. And I had my notebook and my, my little bracelet, or, you know, all these things I had to set up all these pillows and <laughs> the yeah. whole process, but I think I was stalling. And then, um, I did end up going one time, finally at probably around three months to this support group and, something about it I don't even know exactly what it was but something about it really shifted everything for me and I think mm -hmm. part of of that experience gave me permission to let go of all these little things I was a little too worried about mm -hmm. like making sure I breastfed on each side and for a certain amount of time and you know all yeah. these things that as a first mom you do like you don't you just it's normal mm -hmm. and um and so I just was able to let go of some of that stuff and then I actually started enjoying it yeah. It's a lot easier. Yeah. It makes all the difference to just be able to just, it's like, you know, the, that saying, you know, that can be applied to so many different things like being instead of doing. And I think that we can do breastfeeding, you know, and mm -hmm. we, mm -hmm. if we can be breastfeeding, I mean, it's, that sounds very existential, but you know, if we can be breastfeeding, just like if we can be mom instead of do mom, you know, it's, it's such a different space to be in. Yeah. If yeah. I feel like we've tried to kind of, I I feel like I've tried to kind of find a way to say that in a way it's like in some ways you when I watch people really transitioning in those early days or months or weeks breastfeeding is the thing that they think they can control mm -hmm. you know like even though it's difficult and you learn it's a struggle it is the thing that like okay and it's it's a job it's there's a schedule yeah mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it's like there's a there is a rhythm to that if there's not a rhythm to anything else there's a rhythm to breastfeeding that some people just kind of really latch on like you're saying you're kind of holding on to these things and it was almost like you know I watched this and people it can be the center it's like that's the center of that you know if it's your anxiety or you know change or whatever that is and then breastfeeding kind of becomes this thing you fixate on mm -hmm. but if you can learn to like find joy in it and let it be this special time yeah it's easier said than done yeah yeah did you find For it easier sure. the second time around and in, in just in that sense of enjoying it and relaxing into it 
so much easier. Mm. We always joke, you know, the first time, you know, it was the first three months of all that I just explained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and even, you know, after the, the C-section, even just like walking down the block was a challenge for a few, I don't remember how long, but it seemed like a long time before I could even really get out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But with the second, the healing was obviously a lot faster, although I did have some, some ongoing issues that I had to deal with surgically a year later. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say like, there's, you know, I, I always tell people that are debating the VBAC, it's not the be all end all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So do whatever is right for you or, you know, whatever you need to do in the time. But, um, but the breastfeeding was a breeze compared to the first time. I mean, I didn't even really have soreness. So, mm. and we always joke, yeah, the second time I was, you know, just walking down the street, just latching him on yeah. <laughs> within a week, right. you know, so yeah. as opposed to the three months of pillows and notebooks and bracelets and time. Right. <laughs> yeah. It can become quite the, quite the production. So, yeah. <laughs> it got a lot easier. And I think I just had the, the knowing that, that I could produce milk. It's sort of like, I didn't know my cervix could dilate the first time. And so the second time I just. I didn't trust my body. I didn't know if it would even be able to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. But with the breastfeeding, like I, I produced actually more than enough milk. I even donated milk the first mm-hmm. time. Wow. And so the second time I wasn't worried about that. I, I, I trusted that my body would do that Yeah. again. So, yeah, I think it's often some people have really, really hard things about reproducing and, <laughs> And uh, labor and breastfeeding and some things come easier and it's, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like everything else. What was the transition for you and your partner like? Into having mm-hmm. a child? Oh man, um, it's you know, it's it's a challenge. It continues to be a challenge. I think even you know, raising kids in some ways it gets harder because it's harder to find space to communicate and there's, you know, bigger ears listening and, um, sometimes, and the stakes get bigger. I mean, I think in the early years, it's physically really demanding Mm -hmm. and there's that physical exhaustion that can create challenges in relationships. Um, and now it's, it's, we're kind of getting out of that and into the more emotional challenges, I think as the kids get older. But, um, I mean, I don't know how I can just answer that. Um, I think there's, you know, there's, there's the aspects of me being the, the primary caregiver that, you know, the, like I've got the boob Mm -hmm. with the milk, (laughs) I can make the baby stop crying really easily. Like she would often feel like, oh, you know, chop liver. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. That sort of dynamic. Um, um, Is that a role that has has carried on as your kids have gotten older? Um, Just in the sense of like the roles that you guys have. That I'm the primary caregiver. Or that you're, you know, that you're the, you know, the one that is more, you know, comforting or nurturing or any any of those things like you know, whether that, whether we would consider that like a more typical role for a mom to have versus, you know, a male partner, like, have you guys found that you have 
distinct roles that you've fallen into that have lasted through the years or is it a little bit more um, fluid? I think that we do have pretty distinct roles. Um, she tends to do more um, like construction projects with them, little building projects and um, play Pokemon cards with them. Thank goodness. Cause I really can't stand that. Game. <laughs> but you know, yeah. there's certain, certain things that, and maybe like the more, you know, hard science questions, they'll, they'll talk to her about that stuff. And yeah. um, mm-hmm. definitely there's, there's things that, and then I think I'm, I'm, maybe I'm the softy, probably. <laughs> maybe I'm the, I'm the one they come for, for a little more comfort in that way. Yeah. Um, and it, and it changes. I mean, I think it's the same when kids have a mom and a dad, they'll be all about yeah. mommy for a while and then yeah. that'll switch and then it'll be all about daddy. I think it's the same for us. Yeah. yeah. Do you so. do acupuncture on your kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually I do. And I, I did, you know, they've gone in and out of being okay with being needled and I just take their lead on that. Um, yeah. but, um, when Angela was two, he was really into it and he would mm-hmm. even, we have some really cute videos of him of even giving, like helping me give treatment and with our neighbor mm-hmm. or with my partner. And, um, and so that was really cute. Or he'd like to take the needles out and, yeah. uh, he's less into being needled anymore, but they both really are into the twina, which is the massage that is often the, the treatment mm-hmm. we give smaller children and babies and they like mm. um angelo loves chinese herbs <laughs> he's nice. so funny he will suck on the most bitter herbs that we have in our pharmacy and huh. but xander on the other hand like he won't even he, he's not into them at all so interesting every kid's different yeah, yeah but, for um, sure but yeah i definitely give him use chinese medicine with them yeah Will you tell us a little bit more about your practice and and the services that you offer, particularly to women who are in this transitional period? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, um, like I said, I work a lot with with women and sometimes couples that are trying to conceive, everywhere mm-hmm. from you know natural conception to um, assisted reproductive technology like IVF or. Um, for IUIs mm-hmm. and um, and then I work with women through I mean really women's health in general it's not only people having trying to have babies or having babies I see some women who are um, you know postmenopausal or perimenopausal mm-hmm. and um, and then with women who are pregnant anything that comes up with pregnancy whether it's just trying to you know general health or morning sickness or digestive issues or pain, you know, pelvic pain, or, um, yeah. high blood pressure, anything that can come up with pregnancy, we work with. And then, um, and then going into labor, even though, you know, I had such a hard time with it. I still, <laughs> I still, still believe see it. I still believe <laughs> and I still see it being useful, very useful, especially yeah. in the area that I work. You know, I'm in Silicon Valley where there's a ton of stress. People are very much in their head. So I see yeah. acupuncture as a way of getting people down into their body and letting letting the feedback loop do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, sometimes 
we'll we'll work on turning the breach, which that's another thing that acupuncture yeah. can work for. Um, we do a lot of mock stuff for that. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had acupuncture for every pregnancy and labor related thing that you are describing. <laughs> all of and the above. <laughs> all of the above. And I have found it to be to be very, very helpful. And I think the way you just described it is so good. It helps you get down into your body. It's not like this, you know, it's not like this floodlight. It's like this gentle candle, you know, it's kind of um, really, it can be a really like grounding and deepening experience. So yeah, yeah. My, my teacher would always say like, we're not going to push the river. But yeah. we just we help you your body do what it what it knows how to do. Yeah. And um I always tell people, you know, you don't have you don't have a baby from up here in your head. Like you have mm. a baby from down down here in your body. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's I try to just really just get people out of their own way. Hmm. That's a good way of putting help it. Them get out of their own way. Yeah. And you know, and, and then I just have a real realistic view on it too. I think because of my experiences. Like and then you just have to Try to be as open to the outcome as you can be. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, in all this arena, the, everywhere from conception to birth, like we don't have control over it. Yeah. So yeah. that's the the hard thing for for a lot of um a lot of people to ex- accept that, like you said with the breastfeeding, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. this is the uncharted frontiers, which is I think what's so exciting about it to me is that it's like the last mysteries. Mm-hmm. So, for sure, it never gets boring. That's well, sure. thank you so much for for sharing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's really, it's an honor for me to to work with people in this stage of life because it's huge transformation and it's, mm-hmm. it's it's huge changes and it's super exciting and and rewarding and it can be really hard too and really real. Mm-hmm. Well, we're super excited to share your story with our listeners because I think it's something that will just be be very in- interesting and inspirational to them. Your story is is really, I think there's so much in it that women will relate to, even if their you know their personal situations are a little different than yours. Um, I think there's just a lot to relate to in it. So, thank you for for giving us the the candid version of it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. All right. All right. Well, thank you for doing this podcast. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Laura and Melissa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.